What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. On January 11, 2019, Phoenix police officer Christopher Burt murdered 19-year-old Jacob Harris as he ran away from them. They shot him in the back and then fired additional rubber bullets into his body and then sicked a dog on him. So far, only his friends have been accountable for this murder. Joining us to discuss this morning are Roland Harris, Jacob Harris's father. Good morning, Roland. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here, and I am so sorry for your loss. Thank you. We are also, yes, sir. We are also joined by Meg O'Connor, an award-winning senior reporter for the Appeal, covering police prosecutors in the criminal legal system. Her latest piece is called "Police Killed His Son." Prosecutors charge the teen's friends with his murder. Good morning, Meg. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you both for joining us, Roland. I want to start with you, um, and I'm going to begin the way I always start interviews with family members, and that is with the humanity of your son. He is way more than just this tragedy. So I'm wondering if you would just take a couple of minutes and tell us about Jacob as a person. Well, most importantly, Jacob was a father of two children. He had a son and a daughter. Um, played basketball. Uh, he worked a full-time job and supported his two kids and his uh, baby's mother. And uh, I actually went back to school and graduated from high school while working a full-time job at 16. Um, he got uh, four or five little sisters that he looked out for as well. That he was their only big brother that they had on his uh, mother's side. Um, he was just a good kid. He just made a bad decision on January the 11th. That unfortunately, cost him his life. If you don't mind, I mean, I, I spoke about it a little bit in the introduction um, and only only engage as, as deeply as you, you want to. Uh, this is your time, not mine. Um, but if you could walk us through what happened to Jacob on January 11th, 2019. Just a warning to my listeners, um, the murder of Jacob by Phoenix PD was particularly brutal. Um... Go ahead, Roland. The Phoenix Police Department had uh, Jacob, uh, one of Jacob's friends, uh, Jeremiah, uh, under surveillance uh, the whole day of January 10th um, and with an aerial plane. And uh, around about midnight, January the 11th, Jacob was a lookout and participated in an armed robbery of a Whataburger uh, while Phoenix PD sat there and watched it happen. Uh, they drove for about 11 miles, even stopping at a red light. Uh, police never turned their lights on, never made any attempt to even make a, a regular police stop. Uh, they used a grappler, and as soon as the vehicle stopped, uh, Christopher Burtz, I call him a coward, uh, let off a flashbang grenade, which uh, made Jacob run out of the vehicle, and uh, he shot Jacob twice in the back within three seconds of him actually uh, exiting the vehicle. And uh, I want to thank Meg because Meg uh, actually discovered the uh, document. But up until uh, Meg just found the document, they always said that Jacob turned and pointed a gun at him. Mm -hmm. um, 
but Jacob never turned and pointed anything. And even that officer, Christopher Birch, even said that in his uh, PBS report. Uh, after they shot Jacob, they took the other three kids. They actually unloaded rubber bullets into the vehicle that the other three kids were in. And they took them out of that vehicle within less than a minute and a half. They never rendered Jacob any first aid during the remaining 13 plus minutes. Instead, they came around, shot Jacob in the butt with a beanbag gun. It's actually a beanbag gun they shot him in the butt with. We can see in the video his left leg go up in pain in his left arm. And then uh, they huddled up again, the Phoenix PD did, about six, seven minutes later, maybe even longer. Uh, they gave Jacob a lawful command to get up. And you can see in the video, even though Jacob's been shot through the liver and the heart and the lung, he gets up, he managed to get up on his knees. And they shot him in his face twice with beanbag guns, knocking him back down. And at that point, they released the canine after him. And uh, you can see the canine dog shaking on him. And about six police officers still hold the uh, canine's leash. And they drag Jacob back to them. And uh, that's when they finally decided they wanted to render him first aid. And uh, they didn't just kill my son and shoot my son. They tortured him after, after they shot him. That is horrific and egregious, though not surprising. Meg, there were two police officers that fired at Jacob as he ran away. This Christopher Burtz, and then there was a, an officer, Norman. Can you talk to us about their records as police officers? Sure. Uh, yeah, both. Uh, so. Christopher Burtz and David Norman collectively shot at Jacob uh, 11 times within the three seconds that he had left the vehicle and was, was running away. Um, but Norman shots missed, and as Roland mentioned, two uh, of Burtz's hit Jacob. Uh, Burtz, both Burtz and Norman um, had been involved in uh, what the police call officer-involved shootings before um, Officer Norman had, I believe, actually uh, previously shot a man who was involved in a, um, I think, an alleged uh, car theft and was apparently fleeing from police. Um, and he shot and killed the driver of the vehicle, the passenger of the vehicle, who was the man's girlfriend, um, ended up being charged with his murder under Arizona's felony murder law, similar to what happened to um, Jacob Harris's friends in this case. Um, and Bert says also um, shot other, other people as well. I'm scrolling through your article and I was trying to find the sentence where you talk about that Norman shot so many people that it triggered an alert to his supervisor. Um, right. Yeah. He, he shot three people within a one year, uh, time span, which, uh, triggered an automatic alert under the Phoenix police department's internal system just to kind of flag like, Hey, this guy is shooting a lot of people. You should check in on what's happening. Apparently no one did. Roland adding insult to injury. Can you talk about the raid that happened on your home after you went to work? Yeah, please, please. Absolutely, I can talk about how they notified me too. Um, they uh, 
Jacob passed away at, I want to say, about 12.45 a.m. They got a search warrant at about 6.30, about 6.35 a.m. when they got the search warrant. They came, uh, they, uh, we left, I left the house about 7, about 7 a.m. So they already had the search warrant. They didn't come serve it. They showed up. They kicked the door off the hinges. Uh, they stole, uh, a laptop that was mine. They stole both of my uh, children's uh, Apple iPads. They stole a watch of mine. They took uh, money that was in my, at the time, I believe Leilani was 10 years old. My 10 year old's uh, shoebox. They took her money. Um, they notified the uh, apartment complex that they apprehended a murder robbery suspect out of the apartment, which triggered the uh, eviction. Um, then I say around about 8:45 a.m. So about almost nine hours, about about eight hours after Jake was dead, they came to my job, and uh, not one or two officers. They came about ten officers deep uh, to notify me that they murdered my son. And uh, I, when the thing that the thing that uh, kind of pissed me off the most was. Detective Robinson, who made the uh, notification, actually recorded the notification. But uh, he told me to find solace in the fact that they were going to convict my son's friends of his murder. And at the time, I thought one of them shot Jacob, the way that they said mm. that. Mm-hmm. But when I spoke with Detective Winters, who's the detective that was in charge of the homicide investigation, spoke with him. Uh, while I was in the room with the other officers and he told me that Jacob took off running, stopped, turned, pointed gun and was shot. And at that point I told him, you guys are lying. You guys murdered my son. And, um, since that day, I I haven't stopped fighting for him. I want to talk a little bit about the, 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 about your son's friends. Um, Megan, you mentioned the the law. First of all, let can you say the names and ages of of his friends at the time, and then can you talk about the law that allowed them to be charged and ultimately convicted uh, for the murder of Jacob Harris? At the time, uh, Jacob was with three friends. Um, their names were Jeremiah Triplett, who was twenty, Thread Busani, who was nineteen, and. Um, Johnny Reed, who was 14 at the time. And uh, they were in the vehicle uh, with Jacob that night and they have been behind bars ever since police killed Jacob Harris. Um, Under Arizona's felony murder law, you can be charged uh, with someone else's murder, even if you didn't kill them, uh, so long as that death occurred during the commission of a felony. So... Even though the Phoenix Police Department internally, you know, said that Officer Burtz did nothing wrong by killing Jacob and the Maricopa County Attorney's Office said that um, Burtz did nothing wrong by killing Jacob. The County Attorney's Office said that the people who were actually responsible for Jacob's death were his his three friends and they all received uh, very long sentences uh, because they were... um, charged with Jacob's death 
Johnny, who was 14 at the time, was given a 15-year sentence, so more years than he had even been alive. Um, he's now 19, and he has been incarcerated with adults for much of that time, according to his, his aunt, who's his caretaker. Um, Jariah received a 10-year sentence, and Jeremiah um, received a 30-year sentence, which is particularly um, alarming because he has some serious health issues. He has a medical condition called hydrocephalus, um, which has caused him to have um, six brain surgeries by the time he was 20. Um, so in the 30 years that he's going to be incarcerated, you know, he will need additional surgeries. And we all know what the state of prison health care is like. And Roland, I read in the article that you went to all of those trials in support of your son's friends. Yes. Absolutely. The thing that I, 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 I yeah, um, it, it was sickening and disgusting that you wanted to take away the life of uh, three children. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is that when it's, uh, when they initially charged the kids, uh, I got a call from the county attorney's office and they told me that uh, they were going to seek the death penalty for these three kids initially. And, uh, I told them not take a part of that at all. I told them to call me when they are going to charge the police officers that murdered my son. Mm. And uh, I went to court every day. I advocated for those kids um, the best that I could. Uh, and then that's when I found out also that uh, the reason the case, I never knew why the case got sent back to the grand jury for a second time. But the case mm-hmm. got sent back to a grand jury for a second time is because the judge did not agree with the prosecutors charging the kids with Jacob's murder. Mm-hmm. And as far as the other thirty armed robberies uh, that they did try to that they did charge the other three kids with, the thing I found uh, disturbing about that is is that when we did a deposition on Christopher Burtz, we asked them how come they didn't intervene in the uh, robbery. That night at the Whataburger, they said because they didn't have probable cause. So if you didn't have probable cause, how are you able to bring up and charge these kids with 30-yard robberies then? They supposedly took place prior to that armed robbery. And uh, mm-hmm. like, like it's like the more that, uh, the more we dig into this and the more lies we keep uncovering, the more questions we keep having. It's like, uh, well... If this happened, how'd you do this? It's, it's just crazy. I mean, we actually, uh, the only thing, we we didn't actually uh, threaten a lawsuit against the city of Phoenix. We actually did have to sue the city of Phoenix to get the police report. We actually had to get a court order for the Phoenix Police Department to release the police report to us. They, they did not want to give it up to us. They told us from day one there was never even a video of the shooting. And uh, it's, it's, it's just sickening. There's clearly a video. And one of the questions uh, that gets raised in your article, Meg, is what happened to Christopher Burtz's WhatsApp messages from his phone that night? Yeah. So uh, transcripts of police radio traffic from that night, which Roland was able to uncover from his lawsuit, 
uh, show that there's some discussion on the police radio. Uh, someone says something along the lines of, can you throw that on WhatsApp? Because the 52 squad has his guys on there, which means can you share that information on WhatsApp? Because the 52 squad, which Bertz was a part of, is using WhatsApp to communicate. Um, so there's, you know, documentation showing that they were using WhatsApp, an encrypted messaging platform, that night to communicate. However, when Roland tried to get those documents as a part of his lawsuit, which are public record and required by law to be maintained, uh, Bert said that he deleted them. He didn't know that he had to keep them and that uh, they were unrecoverable, basically. Roland, I'm going to talk about uh, talk a little bit about your lawsuit and um, and and then the fact that Christopher Birch turned around and is trying to sue you for forty thousand dollars. What what's going on with that? <laughs> That's a joke. Um, the uh, the judge uh, dismissed our lawsuit, and uh, that morning they said they were going to come after me for attorney fees. They they reached out to my attorney, let them know that they were going to try to come after me for attorney fees for about forty thousand dollars. Um, my attorney informed me that they are probably just using that as a threatening scare tactic to not file an appeal. Uh, my response to them was that, uh, we filed an appeal that afternoon. Uh, um, um, so, I mean, if you want to come after me for $40,000, best of luck. Um, but, uh, it's not about money to me. I'm not going to stop until you're in jail. You're damn sure not going to be a cop. Uh, they used David Norman as a sacrificial ram and thought that uh, maybe we'd back off because he was forced to re be retired. He, he was forced into retirement. Um, but they still worked out a, a deal with him to where he was able to start up his own uh, business. And part of that business is actually training Phoenix police officers as well. So... I mean, I don't know what you can train. You went on a podcast, and the things you said on that podcast are pretty sickening and uh, disturbing, especially when he said he was involved in a police shooting and uh, he was sent to a psychologist. And uh, when he walked in the psychologist's office, the psychologist told him, oh, it's you. You're good to go back on duty. And he said that maybe he needed to talk to that psychologist. Mm. And I think we and So, I mean, there's this... Uh, it's just sickening, but like I said, it's a joke. I, I, I They don't intimidate me. They never will. Um, so if you want to, they want to try to use the $40,000 as an intimidation factor, um, I hope my response was, what's uh, following the appeal right back at them was good enough standpoint of showing them we're not going anywhere. We're going to be in your face for the rest of your life until we get justice for Jacob. In, in addition, Roland, to the, the cops that murdered, murdered your son being charged, convicted, I'm imagining you want, um, what, what, does, what would justice actually look like for you? White people justice. That's what I call it. Real true justice. Um, these officers being put in jail. Um, the, for the three kids' uh, convictions to be reversed 
and it'll only be uh, indicative placed on the armed robberies that they can actually place the kids at, and not anything for my son to be charged with, anything that pertains to my son's death. Not uh, not manslaughter or whatever they try to reduce it down to, nothing. Um, and they give that murder charge to those police officers and put them away for the rest of their lives. But damn sure make them no longer be police officers. I like to see that the uh, governor take away the felony murder uh, law off of the books in the state of Arizona. Mm. I like to see them make a change in laws in Arizona to where if an officer shoots someone in their back, uh, even if they're not criminally charged, they definitely can no longer be a police officer. There's no justification. I mean, in Arizona, there's a law that states that if someone breaks into a regular civilian's home and is running and exiting that house, you cannot shoot them in the back because the threat is no longer there. So how is it that the police, and I thought this is a country that's based off of no one's above the law, but police can shoot a fleeing suspect that's no longer a threat to them in the back and then say, hey, I was in fear of my life. And like I said, uh, the story's changed so many times. They say that they, he said that he shot my son in the back because he's afraid my son was going to shoot the police officers. But then they say they shot my son in the back because there was customers at the Circle K pumping gas. But in the interview of the workers at the Circle K, there were no customers at the Circle K at the time of my son's shooting. So it's just, it's, it's like I said, mm-hmm. it's sickening. It's just sickening. And uh, I think that. Uh, that would be justice. It's just for them to go to jail because that's all me and Jacob's mom really want. We want we we would drop the lawsuit in a second if they charge these officers criminally, but they're they're never going to. Roland, in my in my other life, I run an organization called the Anti Police Terror Project, and a lot of my listeners are committed to ending state terror uh, in in this country. Um, what do you need from folks that want to show solidarity? How can we, how can the community, how can the folks that are listening uh, support you and your family in your quest for justice? Just demand justice. Demand justice from the, from the Department of Justice. Demand justice from the, the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. And, and to touch on that, uh, no one ever spoke out for Jacob. No one in this community except for uh, Reverend Jared Maupin. Mm. No, no BLM, no one, no one. And I don't know if it's because Jacob was, did participate in the armed robbery. So they're like, hey, he was a criminal, he committed a crime, we're not going to speak out for him. But no one spoke out for my son. Well, I'll tell you I that. Think, uh, yeah, uh, I think that was uh, hurt the most. I think that's what hurt the most. Mm. I imagine it did. I'll tell you at APTP, we don't we don't care what the murdered person did. We do not care. We have a, a, a supposed criminal legal system in this country where people are supposed to be able to go to court and, and have exactly. a day in court. So mm-hmm. is there a website? Uh, I, I'm going to follow up with you offline after this interview, but is there a website? Is there anywhere people can go to get more information or any way communicating with you if they want to support further? We don't, we don't, we don't have a website, no. Okay. Never, never, 
or created anything like that. Like uh, like yeah. I said, it's pretty much just been uh pretty much just been me speaking out for Jacob. And um and then mm, like well, I that... say got lucky and got reporters like Meg that um that really took it personal. And she like took it personal what the Phoenix P D did to him. Yeah, Meg, Meg, your your reporting is phenomenal. Thank you so much for bringing this to all of our attention. Um, Roland Harris, thank you so much for coming on the show. I will be getting in touch with you afterwards. This is the first that I've heard about what happened to your son. Um, And I'm sure that that folks that are listening to this show are going to want to find ways to support. So we will talk again soon. Thank you both for for coming on this morning. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.